get ready to strap in for another exciting episode of No Driving Gloves, where Derek, John, and Will will use over 75 years combined industry knowledge to bring you a bare-knuckled review on the collector car hobby. Let's get rolling. It's Will, Derek, and John with No Driving Gloves here again this week with everybody just touching base. What you got going on this week, Derek? Uh, recording this podcast. Yeah, that's about it. Uh, your your life's calmed down to my my level of normalcy. Yeah, just that and work. That's that's what we're up to. Do you have anything exciting going on right now, Will? Or uh, just you know normal day to day operations here at the shop. Uh, getting ready for a little local car show here um, this weekend at the uh, Hoax Bluff City Park, and then the following weekend on the thirtieth, uh, we got our uh, little open house tentatively getting some things ready for it too so other than that just you know fairly normal stuff well i shipped you up a no driving gloves banner today and i stuck some stickers in the tube and if i can get more in i think i'm going to drive up to that event and uh, i'll try to bring some more stickers so we'll have a no driving gloves presence there i don't know if will wants me hijacking a shop but uh, i'm i'm i'll ask for forgiveness after you have my permission, so you don't have to ask for forgiveness. Hey, Will, don't worry. I I can't make it, so you know, because you know we're we don't we don't get along. So yeah, I didn't figure. I didn't figure you were coming anyway. I wasn't banking on it. Yeah. <laughs> Four or five hours down the road, and he can't make it. Well, I mean, I was in Bowling Green just a week or so ago, and come up there to see you, and you wouldn't even acknowledge I was there. So, I mean, why would I be surprised you're not coming here? I go knocked, the opposite way. Knock, knocked on his door and knocked on his door and knocked on his door, and he, he just stood there and hid in the shower. I'm not going to let Will know I'm here. <laughs> that was me in Rena Center about 25 years ago, if I remember right. <laughs> Wait, you hid in Rena Center's shower and what? Yeah, we'll go okay. with that. That makes for a much better story other than me. <laughs> Did you spend the night in the Rena Center? No, that that's something that comes along much later where it was the nights at the Pizza Hut. Oh, there you go. Well, at least there there's food go. there. So you were you were kind of ahead of your time because now people make a living on YouTube spending the night in places that are closed. Ooh, is that a new yeah. direction for our podcast? Yeah, I was going to say We could we could spend the night in like shops and private collections and that's do right. a whole yeah, I could probably edit that kind of video. That would be nice and simple and easy. No, Just take I would. Will's, you got to take Will's snoring out. I mean, that's. I had that schedule where I would kind of stay up late, and I was supposed to open the Pizza Hut in the morning, so I had keys. So when I got done staying up late, and I was afraid of waking up. I would go to Pizza Hut and sleep in one of the booths, and the other guy coming at 8 o'clock would come and wake me up, and then I would fall asleep as we were making dough and stuff all morning. It was a wonderful time. What else are you supposed to do as an 18-year-old pizza cook? Cook pizza? See, we can, we can... They deliver pizzas. That's how we'll tie that into cars. There you go. <laughs> so then the delivery boy showed up in his 1982 Honda... <laughs> Now, we had the 84 Skylark or whatever, and I actually delivered pizzas in a, a Zuzu pickup that was a convertible. My my low rider pur- purple and black convertible pickup I deliver pizzas in. People don't tip you when you drive custom cars, I found. 
And if you pull up in your dad's Lexus to deliver a pizza, nah, you're not getting a tip either. So, <laughs> Hey, you need to recreate that truck. It's a possibility. <laughs> I'm on a couple mini truck forums and I keep watching and every now and then an Isuzu shows up and a guy down the street from here, here has one of the Isuzu space cabs, which doesn't quite do it, but I could rebuild that truck if I, I guess, found the right one. I think my next project is to send my Chrysler up to you and let you guys do a little bit of massaging to it. Let's do it. Which... That Chrysler, unfortunately, it's sitting in my yard right now. I The storage I had, the free storage, seems to be the bane of a car collector's life is storage. The people that had the garage that it was stored in have decided to do the ultimate sin and convert it to an apartment. And they said, oh, the contractor's coming on Monday. Can you move your car today? Uh, okay. <laughs> Thank you for the storage. And towed it to my yard, so now I've got to build a storage shed over the next couple of days so that I can put the stuff in my garage in a shed so I can put the car in a garage. And that seems to be one of the challenges in life. I used to think I need a huge building for all the cars I wanted to collect, and then I realized if I bought the building, I couldn't afford the cars, or I could afford the cars and didn't have a building for them. And I think a lot of collectors go through that. Where do you put your cars? And that, that kind of limits our collection. We don't want to stack them throughout the yards and build a pile of cars, and we all can't build a Hot Wheels display like certain museums or Carvana has. It'd be cool to have that automatic vending machine. How do you guys deal with issues in storing cars, or how do you have them tucked away, Derek? I know you've got a few, and you're a transient person moving all over the country in the last 10 years. And Well, let's hope that's uh, you know done for a while, but... Yeah, I, I unfortunately, in the move to Kentucky, went from an actually reasonable-sized building, a little over, I'd call it a three-and-a-half-car pole barn, but it was it was built more to look like an earlier garage than, than actually look like a pole barn, so it was nice, to basically having barely a two-car garage here in Kentucky right now. So um, currently, I have... The two project cars, I'll call them, which, of course, are the 17 Overland, which is mid-restoration, and the 23 Peerless, which is essentially fresh out of the barn. Those are in the garage spaces with a whole lot of other stuff that got crammed in there during the move and is slowly being cleaned out so I can work on things. And then my 61 Ford Falcon, uh, which used to live in a garage, now unfortunately has to live out in the driveway. Fortunately, it is the running driving car that I have currently as one of my older cars. So, you know, life outside for it isn't horrible as long as, you know, no big storms come in. We tend to try to move it over the, uh, or over, uh, we tend to try to move it under the uh, overhang of the side patio, which is just large enough to get it under if I'm, I'm really creative in case we get any, you know, Storms that look like they're going to throw some hail out or anything like that, I, I try to get it protected, but it is a challenge. And of course, I have some project cars stuffed away at my dad's shop back in Michigan as well. So those are the long-term down-the-road projects that aren't even close to being started or close to being anything that could be completed relatively soon. Yeah, they're spread out all over the place, and uh, I do my best to keep them as safe as possible. It is a challenge. 
And our resident shop owner with his sprawling acre acreage, you don't have any storage issues, do you, Will? You put cars in there and still have barn parties and dancing and invite Kevin Bacon over and play Footloose, right? Uh, sure. Um, <laughs> with all of the car parts and cars that uh, my father and I have accumulated over the years, uh, believe it or not, there's only about four that sit out that are not underneath a shed and those are it's okay for them to sit out i mean there's really not much left of them probably honestly about time to uh just go ahead and haul them off but you know at, at my house i have a detached garage one half of it my wife pulls her vehicle in at night uh, the other half, I have a uh, 61 Mercury Meteor 600 sitting there. And then under the shed attached to that garage, uh, I have a late model Lincoln sitting there that is going to be a donor for my Mercury. My dad has uh, a full basement under his house, so you can imagine what's there. Just uh, stuff stacked to the gills. I think there's a early Bronco. Uh, there's a CJ5 Jeep. Uh, a 40 Chevrolet two-door sedan, 67 Impala, and then we have a 40 by 60 shed out behind uh, my mom and dad's house that you, you can't see from the road, you can't see from the shop. There's, oh my goodness, what's under there? A 57 Chevy truck, a 47 Chevy truck, a Vega, a 47 Chevy two-door sedan, a 73 Camaro, and my very first vehicle is a uh, 83 two-wheel drive K5 Blazer. So all of them are under the shed there. So luckily enough, we we do have uh, 80 acres, so throwing up a little pole barn or throwing up a little shed to keep our uh, treasures uh, out from underneath the hardcore sun and the, and the weather we're, we're pretty well covered. So, and then shop wise, that's where it gets a little challenging. Um, When you have a lot of vehicles that come in that are small jobs, you know, just kind of in and out work. Well, you know, you, you get your vintage air system in and you get everything installed and then the guy comes in and, well, why you got it here? Let's do this. Well, you've already booked the next car to come in. And so we're actually in the process of building a 40 by 60 uh, heated and cooled uh, metal building just for storage. That's all it's for. Part storage, car storage, whatever needs to be stored. So, and then out back, of the shop i forget exactly what size it is but it's a it's a metal storage shed that our dually our two trailers uh my my kayak and canoe trailer it all sits under that so and that don't include our farm equipment so it all sits in under the barn (laughs) so there you go that's our that's our storage uh storage issues so your problem with storage is more building maintenance rather than... <laughs> my storage issue is my house is built in 1960 and my 1962 Chrysler's too big for the garage. 
Well, you know, fortunately enough, my great great grandfather uh, worked his tail off and uh, kind of inherited this eighty acres. And uh, luckily enough, going up through the years, um, my family never really got rid of it. Uh, there was one little hiccup there um, where we had to get it back, but uh, nothing too major. So, you know, I guess that's uh, waking up on the right side of the bed, I guess. Well, there, I say, I, my family's got a bunch of land in Illinois, but they, they plant vegetables on it, soybeans and corn. So <laughs> they seem to. Yeah, and all my, uh, same thing here, John. My family, you know, property is all back in Michigan. Uh, same thing. They they plant, you know, the uh, the soybeans, the corn, and of course in Michigan, the sugar beets uh, on it. There's a lot of barn space, but it seems to be taken up by tractors and combines and semis and all that. So not enough room there to, uh, you know, store my projects. And for, year, for years, I stored my little red truck at, my uncle's, who he's the the family member who kind of runs the farm for the family, and I guess my aunts and uncles that technically own it now that my grandfather has passed. And I even took advantage of that until he decided he'd tear the barn down and build a bigger barn for bigger tractors, and somehow my truck got shuffled away, and that's when I decided I, I made that call that mm, it's probably time to let that go, and when I want to use it, I'll just buy another and. We all know we never go back and buy it again. So, well, our, our our tractors. The reason we mainly have them. One is a small tractor we cut grass with. The other one's a pretty good sized Kubota that uh, we basically move cars around with. <laughs> so, yeah, a little bit of bush hogging here and there, but uh, <laughs> that's that's why that's why we have tractors. I can relate. I really would love to have a forklift or a tractor or something to, to shuffle cars around here, even just the daily drivers sometimes. Parking can be a challenge. Yeah, I've got our, a perfect spot to put that Chrysler if I just had a fork truck and I could slip the 21-foot car into the 22-foot sl- <laughs> slot I have. There you go. Well, our, our Kubota has a has a front-end bucket, and you know it's easily removable, and I have forks that attach to it, so... Uh, you know, moving stuff around is, you know, it, it's not as easy as, say, an off-road forklift. But, you know, there's places that we have cars that you, you, you still couldn't get an off-road forklift. So, you know, it makes unloading uh, transfer trucks when they come down here for deliveries a lot easier. And really the, the main reason we have a tractor, or I think we have three tractors, is to... Uh, you know, help out around the shop and move vehicles. <laughs> we seem to have our storage managed and such. You know, like I said, I've got to do some shuffling, build a 40-square-foot shed so that I can get my uh, my car in the garage. And I don't think the city's going to be too upset as I add that to my little congregation of buildings. It's, we've got that. And then the, you see all the different alternatives for vehicle storage and, and ideas. Of course, you can go to those uh, Amish. I think every place has Amish people building buildings, which just seems to be an interesting industry for the Amish to get into. But they build these little sheds, and to be honest, I'm broadcasting out of one right now. You know, you can go in, you can buy them for a reasonable amount of money. I've done the cost analysis. Can I build it or buy it cheaper? And Yes, the lumber, I actually today just spec'd out. I can build an 
eight by ten building, and it was going to cost me twelve hundred dollars in lumber if I went to Home Depot or Lowe's or wherever and bought it, or I can buy the same building brand new for about twenty three hundred dollars, but I don't have four days in building it and all the incidentals, which that price didn't include the shingles and screws and nails and paint and any of that stuff. So to me, it's always been once I value my time in there, I've, I've liked those buildings. And for, I think, $200 a month, if you did a 48-month lease, which, of course, is a 50% finance rate, you could have a, you know, you can have a garage that you can put your car in. and But if you're going to, you think 50% finance rate, that's horrible. If I go to a local mini storage, I'm going to pay 150 to $200 a month to get a 10 by 20 storage place to put my car in. And at least in the, with this, in four years, the that that payment goes away if you... And you act, still own the building. And you still own the building. And you can also walk in with five grand and they'll drop it off and put it wherever you want in your, your yard. And that's what I did when I lived in... Virginia. I had them come and they built a portable building on site because they couldn't put the portable building where I wanted it. And then, of course, the city got into it with me and said I needed a permit because it wasn't portable. They built it on site and I proved them wrong and hired a crane and had him lift it up and put it somewhere else on my property. And when the guy came back to inspect, he said, what'd you do? I said, well, it's a portable building. I moved it. And then they left me alone. That's just kind of one of my smart ass things to do and like I said the city left me alone but I had a really nice 12 by 20 building for one of my lotus and uh, was able to do some work on it you know small garage that way so those are an alternative storage and with the Chrysler the first thing I looked at and I don't know if have you are you in, you guys familiar with the carcoons the little Ziploc bags you put your cars in and then they've got a oh, yeah. uh, air, their air circulation pump they actually sell it for about 800 bucks you can get one of those that's rated for outside use. I don't know if it, you know, if you were in Michigan, I don't know if it's going to handle a snow load of 12 inches of snow on it. Yeah, but probably it still, not. still would go ahead and protect the vehicle. Here in Alabama, it wouldn't be so bad, other than it probably gets to be about 190 degrees inside of it. I, there's I got a, a few buddy museums. Mine. Yeah, there's go a ahead, few dude. museums that use those in their storage facilities. As kind of, you know, inside the storage warehouse, they put their cars inside of those car cocoons. So, you know, I've seen them in action in that way. I think they're brilliant for indoor storage. I was kind of on the fence about outdoor storage using them. Yeah, I got a, a good friend of mine that keeps his truck in one. And then um, one of our good customers has keeps his car in, a, in a, I think, two cars in a storage facility uh, just outside of Atlanta. And you go into that place, and uh, about half of the cars in there are in them little bubbles, you know. So um, they're pretty popular. Now, the indoor bubbles, you know, they're 400 450 bucks, which isn't a lot of money. And if, if you're in one of those shared spaces, there's a couple of guys trying to do that here in Birmingham. $150 a month, you can store your car. I think it's a nice idea. I'd put another 450 to put the car in the car coon, depending on if they're going to let you power it or not. That even in your own garage, it prevents a rake from falling on the car. It's going to bounce off the car coon. Even if you had the uh, a car cover on your car, you know, if a rake falls over or a shovel falls over, or the kid's playing baseball and throws his bat, 
a car cover is really not going to protect you. The car coon would, to me, give you some padding and gives you, gives a buffer around the car, you know, Star Trek-like force field. And I just brought those up as a couple different alternatives for vehicle storage because there seems to be as many options as there are dollars out there. And if you just have the right dollars, pre-show we talked about, you know, the Elliott Museum in Stewart, Florida, came up with a really cool way of displaying their cars uh, vending machine, moving wall, parking transport type thing where it's a big wall of Model A's. And Derek, you said you've had some friends that visited. Well, how's that system work? Or, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's supposedly from what I've heard from from folks I know that have visited, and uh, actually one of the people I know who at least worked there at the time I was talking to them. You know, it's it's basically like a, a big indoor parking garage like you'd find in kind of New York or something like that that's one of those new ones you occasionally see on social media where they're uh, automated parking. You you put your car on a platform and it, it carries it off and puts it into a spot for you. And then when you come back, you slide your ticket in or enter your number and it brings your car to you. And my understanding from, again, people I've talked to and what I've seen online is it works in the same way. They have all the cars parked in certain stations in the facility. And if no one's there or no one's really playing with the computer system, it just circulates the cars on kind of a a set rotation. It'll bring one up Uh, spin it around in front of the main viewing area uh, for a few minutes, then take it back, bring the next one up, and it's just kind of a continuous loop. But there's a way to override that loop and actually enter a a car number into the system that you want to see. It will take the car that it's currently displaying back, park it, and pick the car out that you would like to see, bring it up to the window and spin it around so you can see it, and then take it back and park it. So it's, it's an interesting idea. And it, it definitely helps with storage within a museum and, you know, being able to kind of have an open storage, visible storage idea as an exhibit. You know, that's that's about all the system, at least that I, I see of the system. That's about all it can really do. And I, I don't know. You know. I mean, I guess great for storage, like I say, but as an exhibit and things like that, I don't know if it's more about the car or about the cool system. We recently, at our museum, we ran out of space. It's, I alluded to in the begin, beginning, I had the choice of having the building or the cars, but I find as I get older and if I was financially or fiscally res- more responsible, if you actually have the money for the building, you have the money to fill the building. And we went, recently went from 146,000 square feet to 224,000 square feet or so with our bu- our building and of course, we display things at angles. We have them stacked like you, you remember your old Hot Wheel cases, but stand those up on their side and cars on shelves like books and things like that. So there's all, all kinds of interesting things that I guess the professionals can do. Carvana, I believe, uses a system similar to what we just discussed at the Elliott. And I think a lot of people are familiar with Carvana, or you can you can go on YouTube and actually see the Elliott systems system in work. I'll link that on our Facebook page and, and go look up Carvana yourself and you can see their their Ferris wheel of cars. 
I guess I fall into with with my Chrysler right now is it's not a registered vehicle. It's always been an indoor storage. It'll be an indoor storage in two weeks, so I'm not too worried about it. The people that have a addiction for cars, and we see them on American Pickers all the time where the pickers show up and these people have these cars they need to liquidate. And what kind of got me thinking about the topic this week is the gentleman in Michigan that's being forced to sell his car collection. And, you know, there's a lot of interpretation there. And, of course, us car people feel bad for him because we understand and we don't, you know, we don't necessarily feel that cars sitting there with weeds growing up through them are bad. You know, he's trying his best to preserve them, but he really doesn't have the money. Maybe being forced to sell them will preserve some of these cars as opposed to them absolutely rusting into nothingness before, you know, he would pass and he's admitted at 74. He probably needed to start doing this and it was a nice push, but he's been asked to sell 20 cars a month. What do either one of you have a feeling on that? And we we all know people. We all drive by houses. We you know when you're doing your country road trips and drives, we see houses with five or six or seven cars. This gentleman's got a couple hundred, so it's a little bit different story. Do we see harm in having those cars there, or is there any opinion for me than one of you guys? My thoughts on that is because I've I've done this myself. Is if if you have something sitting out. All right. And you know, in, in the say 10 year span, five year span, whatever, you know, you're not going to be able to do what you wanted to do with it. Whether it's make a hot rod out of it, put it back original, make a drag car out of it, whatever, let it go. There's somebody out there that would love to have it. And you know, I've, I've done it myself. I've, I've, I've had a vehicle sitting there and I had plans to do it. And then I acquire something else and then I acquire something else. And it just keeps getting pushed on the back burner. And I'm like, when am I going to have time to do this? So, you know, I'll, I'll let them go. And, you know, that's, that's my thought process behind it. I, I've knocked on a many doors, cars sitting there, you know, beside their house hey would you like to sell it no i'm going i'm going to fix it up one day or i'm going to restore it or and you know you go by there 10 years later and it's still sitting in the same spot nothing's changed um so you know that to me that's it's almost disrespect if you're planning on fixing it and you just never do it just just go ahead and get rid of it you know that, that's my opinion on it yeah i mean i i th- I tend to agree with Will, you know, it's, I guess, you know, we all understand you're a car person, you're in the hobby, you enjoy cars, you know, whatever it is, it has an emotional connection for you. If if you don't have the capability to have it, at least in a garage, tucked away somewhere, sitting outside, we all know it's it's just worse for the vehicle. It's going to rust, it's going to have you know animals start living in it i mean it can happen if it's in a barn too but you know it's just it's it's one of those things like will said maybe you have to make that determination after five years ten years whatever it is that yeah you yourself would love to see the car restored hot rotted fixed up whatever it is you want to do with it 
but you clearly have to admit to yourself that I'm never going to get to that. I'm, I'm not going to be able to do it. I don't have the finances to do it. I don't have whatever it is. And I guess the way I look at it is if you're truly passionate about it and man, I'd love to see that car back, but I know I can't do it. Why not? Like Will said, why not sell it to somebody that can do it and has the means to do it and, you know, stay in touch with that person and that buys the car. And I mean, most of us that are in this hobby, as, as we've talked about before, we tend to be friends with the other people that are into the cars and, you know, I've know I've done it before with cars. I own people say, Hey, when you get that done, you know, let me know. Hopefully I'm still, you know, still alive and kicking, but you know, I know there are cars that I own and my dad and I own and my dad owns that people say when it's done, I'd love to see it. And we've done that with some of the cars that we've, you know, finished in the past, the 74 GTO, my dad drove it to work, showed it to the mechanic that he had bought it from. So he could see it all restored back to the way it came out of the factory. Um, you know, the, the 66 Chevelle Malibu we have, um, you know, that was actually a, a good friend of mine, um, from high school, one of my best friends, it's his uncle's car. We're almost done wrapping it up. And I mean, his family has actually come over to the shop and seen it a couple times as it's nearing completion. And, you know, they love to see it. The fact that it's no longer just sitting behind a barn, uh, rotting away, they're getting to see it return to what they remember it being. So, you know, I think it's that kind of self-awareness and realizing that, you know, if, if you can't do it yourself, maybe you can let have someone have it and do it and get the opportunity to see it back on the road in that fashion rather than just holding on to it and letting it sink into the ground and rot away. Okay, guilty as charged. I had a my square body Chevy C10. I was doing the custom work to it and then it got I got too busy with life, and it sat beside a garage for a year or two, and the guy across the street finally came over one day and said, hey, do you want to sell it? And after a couple of weeks of thinking about it, you admit that you're never going to get to it. I alluded to the little Red Express I had. You know, it's stored seven, 800 miles away from me. When am I actually going to go do something with it? And I'm in the I'm on the fence about the Chrysler I have. Like I said, I might send it up to Will and see if he puts some air suspension on it and uh, some sort of cool type motor. I haven't decided which way I would go with that, or if I should sell it on to somebody to preserve it. I mean, it's a really nice car, seventeen thousand miles on it, original, no the whole history, and it's in pretty good shape. Or do I restore it back to new and? That's the dilemma I'm at right now when I'll make that decision in the next year or two, whether it should go on or whether it should live a slightly different life or be preserved. So I'm sure. Well, you know, I, it's not like it's sitting outside and you're neglecting it. You know what I mean? If if you're preserving the current state of the vehicle, I don't I don't have a problem with that. It's when it's sitting outside and Mother Nature's taking her toll on it and like Derek said, it's just rotting away. You know, you, you keep the car in, in a, a place where it's not going downhill any more than what it already is. You know what I mean? So that, to me, that's a little different situation. I mean, I have cars like that that are under a storage shed that, you know, my first vehicle, I always remember growing up as a kid, all my dad's buddies, 
Man, I wish I wouldn't have got rid of that 69 Camaro. That my very first car, that, that Chevelle. It was always their very first car. So that's, that's one reason I'm never going to get rid of it. Is it in pretty rough shape? Yeah, it's in pretty rough shape. I had it when I was 16 years old. I wasn't easy on anything then. But one day I will, I, I will get to it. But it's in a, it's in a spot where it can't really get any more worse than what it already is. So, you know, something like that, I, I'm, I'm good with. If it, if it set out, you know, in the weather and was rusting worse every day, then yeah, I, I would, I would, it would hurt, but I would cut ties with it. Well, kind of alluding back to the gentleman in Michigan with his collection, which now he is beginning to part out and hopefully the city does become a little bit lenient and 20 cars a month is unrealistic for a car salesman to sell, let alone a 70. I mean, when I sold cars, if I sold 12 cars in a month, that was a good month. Yeah. Those are people, you know, this guy's got to unfortunately almost give them away to, to keep those numbers up. So hopefully he can. Well, work, yeah. And if, if, if he goes and sells 20 cars a month, they're probably going to try to do something to come after him for being a, a used car lot or something. <laughs> you're probably, you know, right. you're, you're like, hit him for taxes on them. Yeah. yeah. I, you're definitely right. I think this state, if I sell more than five cars a year, I'm a, I'm now a dealer. So that, you know, he, he they're going to, and I grew up growing up in Michigan. If I remember right, I think it's either four or five cars a month and you can get charged and taxed and all the things for, for being a used car lot. And now we're going to see he's going to get nailed for the vehicles that aren't titled that he has to sell as parts cars because it's Michigan. He's going to get nailed on income tax and he's going to get nailed. You know, I really feel sorry for the guy. It's a bad situation to be in. But unfortunately, it seems to be happening more and more with civilization encroaching. According to the article, he bought this property 10 or 15 years ago and moved there and moved some of the cars and nothing's visible from the road, et cetera, et cetera. It's just, he must be like me and made one of his neighbors mad and somebody's going after him and it probably goes back to tax dollars because they alluded to in the article, if he chose to register all of these vehicles and it would cost him tens of thousands of dollars to do that, they'd let him keep it. They don't care how he's storing them. But because he doesn't have them registered, they're environmental hazardous waste as they rust away and decay and leak oil and break fluid and all the juices from them seep into the earth. And I'm going to sound anticlimate here, but, you know, all of a sudden destroy the groundwater for Lake Michigan. I'm and sorry. There, there's, you know, there's a little bit of real realism there that there is the political money grab, and we all accuse, you know, that's always the, the car guys always accuse the politicians of that, from car inspections to license plates to insurance. They're just all out to ruin our hobby and get, you know, get our money, and that's going to go down a road that I don't think any of us want to talk about on air. So nope, 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 nope. 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 Stay away nope. from it. No, I'm going to jump into the fire. <laughs> All right, see you later. <laughs> this is Burning Man. It's the end of the night. So you go there, and, of course, various junkyards and that are going out of business because and the cars are getting ground up, and I understand that there's some valuable pieces there that are getting destroyed, but the bulk of the cars are completely worthless anyway. I mean, there might be some stainless trim and that that could be salvaged, but... You know, we're a disposable society now and uh, reproductive. But, but the question there, John, is 
maybe we say they're you know worthless cars right now, but I I think back and and it, I think it's 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 great that we have people that store cars like this and collect these you know for lack of a better term hordes of vehicles. I mean, we look back in in automotive history and a lot of times we think wow there's a lot of cars that are gone there there's just none that exist from the early days of the auto industry and a lot less of those cars would exist to this day if there wasn't essentially one gentleman in the early days of collecting automobiles that did what he did and that's a guy named Barney Pollard who was in Detroit Michigan and he collected during the World War II scrap drives, he went around and bought up as many early automobiles as he possibly could shove into warehouses and around old warehouses in Detroit, basically saved these now priceless automobiles from going into the scrap drive and being completely lost to history. You know, there are one-of-a-kind automobiles out there right now that have been restored and are back on the street and going to shows and in museums because of him. Probably at the time, there were a lot of people that thought, why in the world does this guy want this hunk of junk automobile? And it's because he knew and he kind of foresaw that somebody had to save these things. And and yeah, right now they're a hunk of junk, but what are they going to be in 50, 60, 80 years from now? They're going to be the only one left of their kind. Yeah, I guess maybe I said that wrong is that I can respect saving the vehicles and preserving them. But the majority of these, when I'm saying these cars have sat out for, you know, you're talking cars sometimes from the 40s that have sat out 60, 70 years. And if you breathe on them wrong, you'll fall through them because, you know, they'll just disintegrate because of the amount of rust. They're really not salvageable. If they were salvageable, they would basically be complete rebodies, rebuilds. Everything on them would be brand new. And or Will would turn them into a hot rod. Yeah, I mean, it's a, that's right. Be those recreations. You know, he already talked about the Lincoln he scared the guy at McPherson about. And in this episode, he talked about trashing another Lincoln. And even though it's a late model Lincoln, that's when you started talking, Derek. I'm thinking people say, well, it's, it's a junkyard full of K cars and Pinos and 40 XPs and ex- escorts. Those are the Model Ts of today, or of the the early '80s, and that people will collect those. Maybe not, at, you know. Again, we don't know at the same rate, but who would have thought we would be collecting Tempests in nowadays, or in two thousands back in nineteen sixty two? Who would have thought we'd be collecting fifty seven Chevys in fifty seven? It was a great car, but it was the everyday Chevy. It was no different than today's Impala. There is validity in trying to preserve some of these cars, and I think some will get tucked away. I guess there's really no answer here. You know, the the other extreme of other than the, you know, like the pickers that go and do their thing on TV or Count Customs that drives around and looks for abandoned cars and driveways and scripts buying them and selling them and things like that on reality TV, you have the the one that I think is the, the most interesting and we touched on it, too, in the beginning. Uh, our local mini club's planning on a trip to it is Old Car City in Georgia, where it's a it's literally one of those old 40s junkyards, but again, with a whole bunch of non-registered cars, with trees growing through them and all that, but they've made walking trails. 
and the guy charges a mission. It's now a tourist site. You pay like 10 bucks to go in. If you want to take pictures of these cars, it's a haven for photographers. There's a girl from Birmingham that goes over there a couple times a year and photographs cars, and then she resells the pictures because it's these fantasies we have of the cars rusting away and the literally trees growing up through them or cars falling through other cars. And I guess it's another way of commercializing and popularizing these old cars. And what crossed my mind is maybe that's what this guy in Michigan should do is quit selling his cars and all of a sudden make it a tourist attraction, rezone his property and become old car city north. If it lets him keep them, you know, I don't know. So all of us as car collectors always have the issue of storing cars where, you know, I've had my buildings and I've had my garages and I think we've all been there, as we've said. Will just never moves, so he just keeps adding buildings and buildings. Yeah, Will, just wait until you have to move. Just wait. Oh, I, I won't. Yeah, I didn't think I'm, so. I'm not moving. My my next move off of this 80 acres will be in the dirt. <laughs> I'm just going to bury you under a tree and save them. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> say there's 80 time. acres. They'll find somewhere to put you. You'll still be there. Oh. Well, I mean, you know, something could come up, but I... I don't foresee myself moving anywhere, but if I did, it, it would uh, it would it would be pretty rough. <laughs> I would say uh, my boss, he's got he used to rent a warehouse, and my Chrysler was stuck in there for a few years. But he used to have this warehouse with, I think he's got fifteen or sixteen cars, and unfortunately, the deal in that warehouse fell apart, and and lucky he ended up buying quote, buying an area and it came with this large building and it took him months to move you know just moving across town but move all of his stuff from this one warehouse to his n- new new warehouse that he actually owns now so he doesn't have to worry about losing it but to move the cars the parts all the stuff that was stored there it's i hate moving my house and somebody will come pack that for me put it on a truck and unpack it for me that can't happen with my tools and my car stuff because we love them too much. And I'm sure you had the same issue too, Derek, when you moved, if you're moving, you know, you obviously brought three antique vehicles with you that don't really operate that well. Hey, 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 the Falcon runs just fine. Operate that well. That's what key words there. I drive it back and forth to work some days. It works great. It's a 61 Falcon, man. You, you, You can't kill him. Now, granted, they can't get out of their own way sometimes, but they're a great car. Uh, that's what they told me on TV a couple weeks ago. I, I second that the 61, 2s, and 3 Falcon and Rancheros are great cars. I don't think I talked bad about them, but maybe I did. <laughs> they're, I, I'm, I'll, I'll take the opposite stance. They're horrible. I mean... <laughs> They they were so- only if you're going too fast and try to corner too hard. They, they, I've learned that lesson. They were so bad they had to redesign them and create a new car in '64 and then bastardize it. So. No, <laughs> no, they were just they were so great that Ford decided that man, if the Falcon is this awesome, let's just build something and call it uh uh uh. Well, instead of naming it after a bird, let's name it after a horse. Call it a Mustang. <laughs> you're right. I have a soft spot in my heart for them because the first car that Big Oak Garage fixed up, restored, whatever, 
was a, a 60, I think it was a, it was a 63 Ranchero. And, uh, un- unfortunately the owner of it passed away about a year ago and I'm, I'm going to try to buy it back or buy it from his widow so I can own, uh, the first car that Big Oak Garage ever built. If that shop, but I don't know where I don't I don't know where I'm gonna keep it though. I was gonna say, but if the shop the <laughs> shop that built the car didn't charge so dang much when they built it, it'd probably be a lot cheaper to buy now. Yeah, dude. That's true. If I had a fifteen thousand dollar budget on that car, we we buy wheels that that cost more than that now. You know, when when I started that car, I couldn't imagine where you know. I, where we're at right now you know i mean it was it's uh it, it's just completely went crazy um that you're you you built a car for 15 grand and now you know you you, you struggle to buy you, you can't even buy a chassis for that or interior for that now just to, now just to walk into the door of big oak garage you have to put fifteen thousand dollars down just just to talk to will that's what he's saying i wasn't that's what he's saying i wasn't gonna go that bad but in the well bring up the chrysler again i'm looking at it going well what do i want to do for a power plant well what's a hemi gonna cost me and a crate hemi is gonna cost me 15 grand and then if i want it blown it's gonna cost me something something i don't know i ended up finding one that was a polished hemi with a blower on it and all this stuff crate motor with a warranty with an ecu no transmission but with an ecu it was like sixty-eight thousand dollars. <laughs> yep. There you go. And, you can spend whatever you want, and you know, unfortunately, in the hot rod industry, what you know, what I'm in, the the sky's the limit of what you what you can spend. And if you're going to have something that's going to compete at a good guy's event for you know a terrific twelve award or even a builder's choice, I mean, you're going to be spending a couple hundred thousand dollars easy. Um, and see, that's one thing I like to do when I'm walking around those events and that is you can have, like you said, the nicest car in the world if you've got a, you know an open checkbook and have the money to back that up. I always like looking at kind of the the budget things and the people that have built a very solid custom, but you you can see that the choices were financially driven, but it still came out as a good car. I, I agree with you. I find myself at, at a good guys event or an NSR event venturing off from the judging area or, you know, the manufacturer's area and, and looking at the home built cars. And, you know, you can get a lot of ideas from guys that work out of their house and, and built their car on their own just by walking around them and looking at them and, uh, I agree with you, John. I like I like looking at the cars that you know was built in somebody's backyard in their you know whatever size garage they got, and they spent their hard earned money doing it. And the the motorcycle event we have coming up in about a week at at Barber's uh, Barber Vintage Festival. That's one of the cool things about it is it's a group of we'll say seventy thousand people over the weekend that. A lot of them there are on their last nickel or their last dime, it seems, and they've rolled in in their 74 Dodge van with a rickety trailer to pull their racing motorcycle in. 
and they're doing what they love, and there's a lot of respect to be said to that. You know, we just completed a weekend where the bike that won could have cost $100,000 to build, and it's two completely different aspects of the racing world, and it's the same thing with custom cars. It's the same thing with restorations, and you can do it slowly yourself and take 10 or 15 years and have a very quality vehicle or you can send it you know send it to a professional shop and spend a lot of money really fast but we've talked about labor's what's expensive so i think it's like a lot of us say in or at least a lot of people i know say in the hobby is uh, most of us are car rich and money poor the very true statement i think for there you go there you go for at least 66% of this uh, broadcast team. <laughs> I think we'll go ahead and kind of wrap it up there. We kind of rambled a little bit. We touched on some of, it's kind of the, again, as Derek said, we're all three of us are car rich and money poor. So we have storage issues that I think probably reflects to our listener base. And that's how the three of us take care of it is, you know, I build little shanties in the backyard and, Will builds massive buildings, and Derek lives within his means. We'll say. Yeah. And if build. if any of our if any of our uh, listeners would like to donate to the No Driving Gloves Storage Facility Fund, look look um, us up on Patreon. Yeah, I need help paying for this forty by sixty. Yeah, no, 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 no. I don't think you do. No, the, oh, the, the fund is the fund is for John and myself. Is is Will gonna? actually admit that he's English at heart. Remember his choice back in our episode of what car are you going to race across the country? And he's talking 40 meters by 60 meters. It's not this feet thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. So, like like I said, we'll just go ahead and wrap it up there and hope you enjoyed our ramblings this evening and touching and skirting the edges of politics and we'll join you again in another week with another exciting episode of no driving gloves but be sure to check out the the website the social media pages and that we still have and uh, will and Derek should be getting me some video and photos from their travels from a week or two ago so we can get some of those things up on social media too so check us out on the social medias and if you are on apple podcasts and itunes 11 actually still let you do reviews. I've heard mixed things the 18, 20 hours it's been out. Leave us a review on Apple iTunes. It supposedly helps us a little bit with their charts. So if you guys are done, I'm out of here. Adios. Later, tater.